every time I hold the baby in my hands to affirm their parents' covenant with God, who are saying in effect that we will bring our child to know God, to trust God, to walk with God, I cannot help but think about their future. Every time that I meet with parents, spend an hour talking about what the covenant means and how God is going to work in child's life, child's future, I become thinking about that future. It's not a secret that I'm deeply concerned about the next generation. You cannot be around me for any length of time without knowing that and sensing that. When I allow the flesh, I allow the flesh on occasions to operate in me and my heart. Praise God, doesn't last for very long. And I become worried. I do worry about the future of those precious ones. As I look at the fast-growing hostility toward the Christian faith, when I see the relentless attack on Christian families and Christian values, when I focus on these diabolical attacks on our children by those in power and authority, when I experience uh, by the blatant schemes by some in government to break down our families, I have to confess to you I become discouraged. But as I said, thank God, it doesn't last for very long. It doesn't last for very long. Because very quickly, the Holy Spirit helps me reflect back in my own life when I should have been aborted, but God had the last word. Where I grew up the first 18 years of my life in a culture and a society that is totally hostile to the Christian faith and to Christians. When God's hand supernaturally intervened again and again to rescue me, then I become encouraged and lifted up. I began to praise God for the fact that He is not threatened by the hostility toward our children and the hostility toward His children. Our God is greater than all the diabolical plans. Our God is more powerful than their evil designs. Our God is mightier than all of their schemes. So much so that I'm now convinced, I'm absolutely convinced, that the greater the hostility, the mightier our children are going to be. The darker is going to get, the brighter the light of our children is going to shine in society. The stronger the hostile forces become in our culture today, the stronger the hand of God will be manifest for everyone to see in the lives of our children. As I go and read the Scripture, I'm encouraged, I'm lifted up, for I find there is one common thing among all of those men and women who were powerful for God, who stood against all the odds in their lives. There is one common theme, there's one common thing, and that is somebody exercised faith on their behalf. Somebody prayed for them. Somebody interceded for them. Somebody trained them. Timothy had his mother and grandmother not only praying for him, but training him. And David had the prayers and the intercession of the prophet Samuel. And I can go on and on and on. But even in history, we know that great men like St. Augustine had his mom 
Monica was praying for him. And the Wesley brothers, the reason they did great things for God and they stood against the entire British society is because Susanna, their mom, not only trained them, but she prayed for each one of their 11 children one hour a day. The list goes on and on. Many years ago, when Mrs. Hillary Clinton wrote a book entitled, It Takes a Village, meaning that parents don't bring up their children by themselves, but the whole community involved in their bringing up children. And I remember those many years ago, saying after I read the book, I said, no, and a million knows. A godless village will produce godless children. An immoral village was going to produce immoral children. An unbelieving village will produce unbelieving children. It doesn't take a village. It takes godly parents and grandparents to bring up children. Amen. It takes godly Sunday school teachers and godly youth leaders and and godly church leaders. It takes faith and prayer and the Word of God to bring up godly children. I'm talking about babies. Probably there is no more known baby who, as soon as he opened his eyes to the world, he opened them to danger. No more known baby was born with the sentence of death hanging around his neck and his infant body like Moses. Yet the faith and the commitment of his parents under God's sovereign plan gave us this great champion for God. Look, I'm not fooling myself. There can be no doubt. Today's generation have greater and more temptations and more challenges than even their parents' generation or my generation. I heard about two mothers who were talking to each other, and one said to the other, she said, my daughter doesn't tell me anything, and I'm worried sick. And the other one said, my daughter tells me everything, and I'm nervous wreck. I know this is a very intense subject. It's very intense for me because I take it very seriously. But so I thought I'd introduce some levity in the middle of this serious matter by reading to you some of what famous mothers of famous children reportedly have said to them. So let me read some of them to you. Alexander the Great's mother, how many times do I have to tell you you cannot have everything you want in the world? <laughs> Franz Schubert, take my advice, son. Never start anything you cannot finish. (laughs) Achilles' mother, stop imagining things. There's nothing wrong with your heel. (laughs) Here's the one, Sigmund Freud's mother. (laughs) Stop pestering me. I have told you a hundred times, the stork brought you here. (laughs) Now, the younger ones will not know this one, but boy George's mother. Yeah, my generation will know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Do you enjoy being different? Why can't you be like Nancy, your brother? (laughs) Well, there can be no little doubt that Moses' parents not only exhibited courage in the midst of a hostile environment, but they used every opportunity in those early days of Moses' life 
in his childhood to teach him about God and the plan of God and the plan of God for his life. You say, Michael, how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked, because right there in the Scripture, Hebrews 11.23, last message we saw Hebrews 11.26, by faith Moses turned his back on gold for God's glory. Here, in verse 23, by faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they were not afraid of the king's edict. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. And as you're finding Exodus chapter 1, let me remind you of what I said in the last message, namely that God told His friend Abraham, He said, Abraham, your descendants are going to go down into slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and then after 400 years, I'm going to bring them out of that slavery. I'm going to redeem them out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land. That was God's promise to Abraham. Joseph goes down into Egypt, sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. So once he became the second highest powerful man in Egypt, he brings out his father Israel, and he brings his siblings, the very one who sold him into slavery, the very one that hated him. He brings him into Egypt, and he gives them the most lush of all the land and the blessings of the land of Egypt. And there were about 70 at that time of all the children of Israel with their spouses and, and grandchildren of Israel. Seventy. And in the course of 400 years, they reached two million people. But what happened in those 400 years with two million people inside Egypt that became a nation inside the nation? The new Pharaoh who came on the scene did not know or probably couldn't care less of how Joseph, the Hebrew, the son of Israel, saved Egypt from death and starvation. All he can think of is what a threat these Israelites are to him. This new Pharaoh felt threatened by the Israelites. This new Pharaoh wanted to eradicate the policies of his previous Pharaoh. This new Pharaoh uh, was so anxious to build his own legacy and his own reputation. This new Pharaoh was so insecure and feel threatened. In fact, he was so fearful, and he projected his fear. Look at what he said in verse 9, Exodus 1, verse 9. Pharaoh said to his people, look, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. This Pharaoh actually felt that he was in a catch-22. You know what I'm talking about? Catch-22? He feels the threat of the Israelites, but at the same time, he couldn't do without them because they've proven to be a source of cheap labor. So he devised a three-pronged evil plan to cull the population of the people of Israel. I got them all in there, starting with these, so you remember them. First, he wanted to demoralize them, and secondly, he wanted to decrease their number, and thirdly, he wanted to destroy their future. Let's look at these diabolical three-pronged plan. First of all, he wanted to demoralize them. So what did he do? He was trying to wear them out, and he wore them down physically, moral. In, in every area, their morale was down. He got them working not just knee-deep, but waist-deep in mud, making bricks for Egypt. He was trying to demoralize them, and he thought that the more he does that, the less children they will have. But it failed. 
the more pressure he puts on them, the more kids they've got. The more he oppresses them, the more they're produced. So he goes to the second plan. Decrease their number. So he, he begins what is probably the first time in history, abortion, not on demand, by demand, by the demand of edict of the self-centered dictator. Controlling birth by murder. Beloved, let me tell you something. This can only be devised by the devil himself. <laughs> and we've been doing this in the West and in this country for some time. Millions of babies are being aborted on demand. Pharaoh's order was clear. Kill all the male-born babies, newborn male babies. Now, Moses' parents already had two children before this edict was issued. They had Miriam and they had Aaron, the two siblings of Moses. But this second-prong approach failed too. (laughs) The Health and Human Services Commission issued a decree to these public servants, the midwives. They were government employees. And it says to them, kill. As soon as a baby is born and it's a boy, kill him. (laughs) But God gave the Israelites favor in the eyes of these government employees, these midwives. (laughs) He gave them favor. So they let the boys live. These same government employees risked their own lives to obey the God of power and might and not the power of Pharaoh. Please hear me right. The time is coming when our children will risk their own lives for their obedience to Christ. And so we better start preparing them now. The time to get them ready is now. The time to equip them is now. The time to pray for them is now. The time to prepare them and and teach them is now. The time to uphold them is now. By all means, get them involved in athletics. By all means, get them the best education. But I'm telling you, if you do all of that and you leave out the equipping and the training of the children for the future, you would be sinning against them. We need to train them to learn to know how to stand up and be counted now. So the midwives allowed the boys to live. Finally, Pharaoh goes to the third prong of his plan. Throw the babies, the baby boys, throw them into the river Nile. Destroy their future. See, this godless leader, this godless Pharaoh was doing basically trying to kill two birds with one stone. What he was doing, trying to destroy the future generation of the Israelites, at the same time appeasing his God, the God of the crocodiles, by offering these babies to the crocodiles. And some professing Christians say the devil doesn't exist. If this is not diabolical, I don't know what. You can imagine, like ISIS, the Islamic State of today, in the Middle East, and they're doing this now and today before our own eyes, We see moms are weeping and wailing as they watch in horror, seeing their baby boys snatched from their breasts and they're thrown into the mighty Nile. In the midst of this severe crisis, my beloved friends, Moses is born. In the midst of this global catastrophe, Moses is born. In the midst of this fearful and terrifying time, Moses is born. As I said earlier, if I allow myself to focus too much on the situation that we are living in, I could become discouraged. But thank God. Thank God for the Scripture. 
because it shows us how to live in courage in the midst of tough times. You know, I live and have a word with those who don't read the Scripture on a daily basis. I don't know how you do it. I mean, it's a food. It's like air that I breathe. You will not survive for very long walking with God without reading the Word of God. Let it equip you and uphold you. Don't just depend on me coming here to explain it to you, or the Bible teacher, or school teacher, or the home groups. You read it. You spend time with God. Thank God for Jacobit and Emram, Moses' parents, who were filled with godly courage, not fear, in the midst of crisis. Now, let me tell you something about godly courage. Listen carefully. Godly courage prays in faith. Godly courage plans in hope. And godly courage teaches in confidence. Now, amen belongs here. And then trust God for the outcome. (laughs) That's all we can do. Godly courage says with the psalmist, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He will say to the Lord, You are my refuge and my fortress and my God in whom I trust. And Sir Jacob and Imram both from the tribe of Levi, had everything working against them. Everything. They lived in a pagan society, in a pagan culture of Egypt. But that's not all. The Israelites who have lived in Egypt, the vast majority of them, were impacted, and they were basically practicing pagan religion just like the Egyptians. They were knee not only in deep in mud, but they were knee-deep in paganism imitating the host country. So much so, it was so deeply entrenched in them that 50 years after they left the land of the slavery, Egypt, Joshua in 24.14 would say to them, Fear the Lord and throw away the gods of your forefathers who worshipped in Egypt. 50 years after they saw with their own eyes the miraculous work of God of drying up the Red Sea and getting them to cross and drowning the Egyptians. That's how much paganism, superstition, worshiping foreign gods was so entrenched in the practice of the Israelites. So for Moses' parents, they're not only fighting a a godless culture, the church was against them too. The Israelites themselves So this couple, Moses' parents, were facing opposition from every side. (laughs) This couple were among the truly small handful of faithful people in slavery of Egypt. They were faithful in trusting of God's promise to Abraham. They were faithful in wanting God to fulfill His promise to Abraham. They were faithful in keeping the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. What should this tell us? about parenting today. Listen carefully, please. It tells us that even if the whole world goes wacko, and it has right now, God will always honor the faith of one couple. It tells us that even when churches abandon the gospel and the Word of God, God will honor the few remnant faithful people. It tells us that even when other professing Christians get swept off their feet by this modern sexual revolution, God will uphold those who stand firm for Him. Hebrews eleven twenty three again. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months. Why? 
They knew that they could trust God in the midst of this incredibly dark situation. I mean, this is incredible. I wish you can visualize it with me. Now, there are some Jewish traditions repeated by Josephus the historian that said that there was an angel that appeared to the parents and told them about Moses and his future and his plan and so forth. Now, we have no biblical evidence of that, so it doesn't matter to us. God gave them that faith. Make no mistake about it, God will give you faith if you ask for it. It was God who gave them faith. He gave them the faith to stand against the godless laws of the day, to stand against the government tyranny of the day, to stand against the evil powers of the day, to stand against wicked legislation. My beloved friends, our children need to see in us faithfulness. Because I can only imagine those three months. They felt like as long as three years. I mean, can you imagine? I know they're only three months, but think about this. How are you going to keep a baby secret? And they didn't have big yards and big houses, and they, they were on top of each other. I mean, how are you going to keep a baby from crying? Every time a baby cried, it could lose his life. <laughs> Every time there was a knock on the door, it could be Pharaoh's henchmen coming in to kill the baby. Every time a neighbor asked a question, there could be government informants. Just think about this. For three months, every moment of those three months, they were swinging probably between faith and fear. But thank God, faith immobilizes fear every time. I want to repeat that. Faith immobilizes fear every time. Not only that, but faith gave them the courage to follow God's plan. Jacob had made a waterproof basket, covered it at the bottom with tar, so it could float in the Nile. And they placed baby Moses in that basket. And they placed him where? In the Nile. The Nile to the Jews who are living in Egypt. The Nile is synonymous with death. Pharaoh's throwing babies in this Nile. But by faith, they placed their baby at the very place that has been a source of death. You see, since the baby boys were thrown into that Nile, normally, actually, throughout history of Egypt, the Nile was a source of life for the Egyptians. But to the Israelites, it became an instrument of death and sorrow and grief. Please listen to me. When you are in God's protective plan, even the instrument of death becomes a source of life. The river Nile was the grave for many a baby. And yet it became a very source of life for baby Moses. I often tell people, and some of you heard me say this, I'm invincible until God says so. When God says, my time is up, my time is up. Jesus said, who of you by worrying you can add a minute to your life? And the answer is none. Until God decides it's time for me to go home to glory, no man, no disease, no illness will call the shots. God will call the shots. He will call us home when He's ready for us. <laughs> and I often wonder if Moses' parents uh, did not study the ebb and the flow of the Nile. I am convinced they did. I wonder if they did not know exactly when and where Pharaoh's daughter comes out to swim in the Nile. <laughs> they probably watched that and watched the pattern. You see, the fact that they trusted God, it does not mean that they sat on their blessed assurance and did nothing. 
Oh, take things just as they come. They're laissez-faire about everything. They diligently worked. They carefully planned. They thoughtfully prayed. And so they placed the basket at the right place at the right time. Meanwhile, Sister Miriam is hiding in the bushes, watching Pharaoh's daughter and her maiden going into the water. And as soon as she saw them open the basket, get that beautiful baby out, and they were googling and gaga, go, go, go with the baby, and they were, you know, just going crazy about this beautiful baby. And while they're going through that, she jumps out of the bushes and says, Witness anyone? <laughs> Pharaoh's daughter probably thought, What a good luck that this woman is there to find a nurse nearby. <laughs> they probably thought, what a coincidence that, that Miriam knew someone who's close by that could nurse a baby. There are so many delicious ironies when you walk by faith, you cannot explain it any other way. First, Jacob had got to nurse and train her own baby and got paid for it. How about that in the Middle East, huh? I mean, that's, man, that's a... That's a deal. <laughs> we like that. <laughs> Not only that, Jacob had got to nurse and train her baby under the protection of Pharaoh's soldiers who would have killed him. We truly miss out on these incredible ironies when we cease to live by faith and trust in the Lord and take risks for God and get out of our comfort zone and trust Him. I want to speak to the parents and the grandparents as I conclude here today. Beloved friends, as a, a father and a grandfather who made many mistakes, I plead with you to implement God's plan for your children. That's the first thing. Implement God's plan for your children, no matter what. All the distractions of the world should not come in your way of accomplishing, implementing God's plan for them. Secondly, Practice your faith unashamedly and openly in front of them. You are setting the example so they can see it in you, and they will grow up to practice it. For you know and I know example is far more powerful than all the words that are spoken. And thirdly, unite together with other believers in your walk of faith. Let me tell you something. No believer should walk alone, because I can tell you that's exactly how the devil likes it. Don't stand alone. Hold hands together. The name Moses means the one who's drawn out of the water, the one who's snatched out. That's what Moses means, literally. And every believer in Jesus Christ is drawn out. Every believer in Jesus Christ has been snatched out from among the lost and the perishing. We are snatched out of the jaws of sin and death and Satan. We have been snatched out of hell and Hades. <laughs> so let's live like it. Let's live like it. Listen, with the moment you take your salvation for granted and you get, oh, ho, hum, yes, I'm saved, so what? That's the moment you're in trouble. Because God snatched us out of sin and death. We need to ask the question. I do that on a regular basis, trust me. Why did He snatch me from sin and death? Why did He save me? And the answer comes screaming back at me 
every time so that I might spend every waking moment to glorify His name. And that applies to you. Everyone, whether you're young or old, has nothing to do with age. That God saved you so that you may live for His glory. How are you going about it? I hope that question will stay with you for a long time until you answer it. But then there may be someone here today who says, Michael, I really have never committed my life to Jesus Christ. I'm still searching, and I'm still looking, and I'm still trying hard, and and I'm trying to find my way. Today your search can be over. Come to Jesus. He died for you, and His hands are open. You know, you're not here by accident. You have a divine appointment to come and hear the Word of God. And so, if you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, you've never experienced the incredible love and the forgiveness of sin and the affirming and the assurance of eternal life, you can do that today. Let's pray together. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, you know every heart. Jesus, you said, even the number of hairs in our head accounted for by the Father. And you know who's listening. You know who's being convicted right now. And to what conviction you're calling them. And so I pray in the name and the mighty and the power of Jesus and His blood that you would convert souls and that you would transform lives and that you remind us that life is short. And only what is done for Christ will last for all of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.